0: Bokaton Crees. By creed, you too are redeemed. But I do not walk the way. Did you bathe in the waters? I did. And have you removed your helmet since? No, I have not. Then you may join our covert and live as your ancestors once did. You may leave anytime you wish. Until then, you are one of us. Welcome, Bo-Katan of Clan Crees. This is the way. This is the way.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wantless Lair podcast. This is episode number 507, Midway into Mando. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt. And with me, the foundling to my convert, we have Carl (laughs) LeClaire.
0: What a great comparison, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I can't believe we're already halfway through the season of, of Mandalorian. I know. I know. It's such
1: a good show. And then it's over so quickly because it's only eight episodes a season.
0: I know. Sad tear. I know. Um. <laughs> uh, it, it's it been it's been an interesting season. It's been a lot of fun. Um, obviously, we haven't talked about it since the premiere and um yeah, looking forward to just talking about the episode, you know, chapters uh, eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, lots to talk about. Lots have happened, um, and and Jason, I know you don't you don't really use social media too regularly, so I don't know if no. you've seen some of the online discourse. But I, this is the first time, and granted, it's only been, not, not like there's been several seasons of Mandalorian, but. This is the first season where you I have been seeing consistent complaints about the show um seasons one and two it just everybody seemed to be you know just deeply in love with the show there was it could do no wrong and and it's not that people are necessarily like hating it, but this is the first season I would say where I've noticed folks uh you know just pointing out like it's it's not working for them or it, it feels more inconsistent to previous seasons um i and I just think. You know, at this point, midway into the season, um, a consistent complaint I've heard, and I don't know that I necessarily buy it, is people are like, it seems like there's no direction. Like, this show has no plot. But to me, and I don't know if you, it, how you see it, Jason, but to me, the plot's pretty clear. This is all about rebuilding Mandalore. Um, you know, that's clearly what's being set up. I don't know how folks aren't picking that up. I can understand maybe it's not going as clearly as you want it, or, or, right, there's... Specifics that you you feel are lacking, but um, and I also don't mean to like kick the show off with this, but I know that you don't engage with this discord, this discourse. Uh, I don't. I I particularly don't necessarily agree with it. Um, insofar as for me, it does make sense. I do see where it's going. I think it's getting there in a slower than I would ex- expect way. Um, but I'm still having a lot of fun. And I think that's, that's always been my favorite part of Mandalorian is that I love the story of Din and Grogu. And I love that we get to have fun. Um, and I think the story of Din and Grogu is becoming more complex now. Um, and, and with it only being halfway into the season, I'm, I'm hesitant to put too harsh a judgment on anything at this point. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I can see where people would complain because it is moving slower. It, it, the stakes haven't necessarily been that high this season you know um obviously season 1 was all about the very imminent threat to grogu from uh the empire uh and then season 2 was the uh, the raising of that threat and the search for a jedi mm. um which obviously culminated with luke skywalker uh we got our little a little uh, bridge with Boba Fett. And now we're kind of here and they're kind of just having little adventures. Um, While Din has definitely been focused on, on getting redeemed uh, and, and brought back into the children of the watch tribe. uh, That seems to be his main focus and he's going to bring Bo Katan along for the ride and getting her back into the must retake Mandalore mindset. Um I can, you know, can see that. But it has been a bit of a a wandering ro- road, shall we say, so far. There's been some great moments, but overall, I-, I don't think this season has any of my top three episodes of the show yet. Mm. Um. So I can see where people are, are coming from. However, I've been watching Dave Filoni Star Wars content long enough to know that there's important things from each and every one of these episodes. It's all going to pay off as we barrel towards the finale. Uh, I feel like. Episode five of this season, maybe episode six we're really going to see the target and everything will just launch toward it and we'll we'll see what all of this has been building up. So, I I'm I'm not going to say I'm not going to agree with them and say that you know, it's 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 lacking or it's subpar or whatever. I will say that the trail has been a bit wandering. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, what allegiance does din and grogu have except to each other and to this mandalorian covert so yeah um but i'm also in the wait and see mode to see how it all comes together because it will
0: yeah yeah i think about season one especially right there the first three episodes are kind of a mini-arc uh, with Din choosing to take Grogu as a foundling, and then we get a few wandering episodes, right? Um, And then the final two episodes of the season have a clear plot line, and the same is very true with season two, so uh, I will say this. The thing that I'm most was most pleased with was I honestly thought that season three was going to be Din's quest for redemption, right? Like him trying to get to Mandalore to get into those living waters. The fact that that's all resolved by the end of the second episode kind of made me really happy. Cause I was like, wow, like now it can kind of go anywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and I feel like episode four of the season. So chapter 20, and we're going to talk about each of these in a minute here more specifically, but, I felt like that was like the perfect middle episode of this is this is setting up them settling into their place in the Children of the Watch. And now now we'll start to explore is what is the Children of the Watch after? What is Bo-Katan after and how will we reconcile those paths together? And of course, we've got this outside threat of the Empire. Um, Gideon is probably still out there. I mean, I think Chapter 19, the Convert. You know, showcases that with Elia, uh, Elia Kane's character. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's obviously a subplot there where it's going to overlap. Uh, so I think the the pieces are being put in place. Um, it, the amount of people that called Chapter 19 a filler episode, I don't think they understand what filler means, because <laughs> uh, and and they're being super premature far as like, oh, this had nothing to do with anything. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Have you seen the whole season? <laughs> like that's right. how you set things right. up. <laughs> like I don't, there's just such a foolishness to calling that filler. Cause it's just not, yeah, it, it's setting things it, up. Yeah.
1: There's a, it, I, I agree. There's a foolishness to calling anything filler when it's the first episode to set up a larger plot. Yep. Um, because there's definitely plots that are being started in that episode. Oh my gosh. Like, that's where the the greater threat is going to be coming from and it's a threat that i'm not even sure is going to be resolved in this season Mm. i think we'll see it grow but i don't think i think we're going to see this is my speculation i think we're going to see uh the the children of the watch under the inspiration of Bo-Katan attempt to reunite a bunch of disparate Mandalorian factions in order to retake Mandalore. And that will bring Gideon back out of wherever he's hiding. And that will be the conflict for season four. Yes. That's my theory. Um, We'll see how close I am. Uh, you know, maybe some of that will happen, you know, in the next four episodes. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but that's that's kind of where I'm speculating this is all going to go based on what we have so far after we hit the halfway point of this season.
0: So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Well, and, and I think Gideon is I mean, I'm curious to see why the Empire bombed. Bo-Katan's castle. Um, uh, I really want to find out more about that. Uh, But I think if Gideon does in fact show back up, which I think he will, um, Mm -hmm. he's, I think his aim is still to get Grogu, right? He wants Grogu and he wants whatever that, you know, cloning a a force sensitive person can entail. And of course with, you know, as of, as of when we are recording Jason, you know, tomorrow we'll also getting the finale of bad batch in, Certainly, cloning has been uh, a central element to the the season of of Bad Batch as well, um, mm-hmm. right? And and the larger discourse around that is is everything is kind of pointing to the sequel trilogy, um. So right,
1: and, and the the cloning aspect that that Gideon is involved in that seems to be definitely, uh, you know, reinforced by what uh, Officer Kane was able to acquire from uh, Dr. Pershing and his misguided mission to continue his uh, his own research so she got all the essential equipment based on his wish list and uh, kind of walked off with it yeah so yeah. yeah there's there's definitely a lot of threads and a lot of plot being established. In that episode, we just haven't seen where it goes yet because we've only just
0: got that episode.
1: Um, <laughs> <so>. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, so in, in typical Wampusler fashion, uh, we just kind of want to bop through the th- the three episodes, you know, that we've yet to talk about and just highlight a couple things from each episode that we particularly enjoyed or really stood out to us. Um, so we'll start with you know, chapter 18, the minds of Mandalore. Um, and since I brought it up, Jason, I'll just, I'll just dive right into it. Uh, the thing that first grabbed me in this episode is just, uh, that opening scene with, um, well, I guess not the opening scene cause it, it, it opens with them, um, on Tatooine. Um, but that, that scene of Din and Grogu kind of flying to Mandalore and they're having that conversation. This was one of my favorite things about, uh, several of the episodes in Mandalorian so far is when early in the episode we have these just like cute intimate moments between Din and grogu on the ship right it 's these these moments for for the bonding of those two characters, so what I appreciate about them flying towards Mandalore is Din just admitting to to grogu like you know that 's mandalore it 's where every mandalorian can can and can trace their lineage from. I've never been there before. So to me, what I really appreciated about him pointing that out is, is it took Grogu to get him there. Right. Uh, Grogu has really uh, reoriented his life to becoming f- probably for himself a more authentic version of a Mandalorian. Um, so I really like that. And I also like the line when he says all of our people and the way he just says our, like he's including Grogu in that too. Like they're both foundlings. Neither one of them are from Mandalore. Um, But there's this sense of belonging to that world. Um, And the fact that Grogu has come into his life and made that world accessible, I just find really endearing. Um, And then he also points out where he grew up. He points out Concordia, which for all of us Clone Wars fans, we know that's where the death watch (laughs) set up camp. Um, and yep. there's been lots of clues that Children of the Watch are in some way affiliated with Death Watch, whether they're an offshoot of it or a response to it uh, has not yet been made clear. But it's just really neat that the Children of the Watch also were on Concordia, just like Death Watch. So so I really enjoyed that little scene between him and Grogu.
1: Uh, honestly, I did, too, um, but for a different part of the scene, uh the one of my favorite parts of the scene is is Din is teaching Grogu how to navigate. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he kind of started that early, you know, in the first episode uh, of the season, and he's continuing that. And he's you know uh, a Mandalorian he needs to know where he's at at all, or can be able to find where he's at at all times. And you know, he's pointing out the different planets, the Concordia, uh, the I'm blanking on the planet name. Uh, yeah, where, where Bo Katan like- Yeah,
0: I, f- I forgot to. <laughs>
1: Um, where katan is from, uh, and all of that. So uh, as they they fly in, and it's it's really great, and obviously that comes in handy because then Grogu is able to navigate back to her when Din is uh, incapacitated by the junk droid. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's uh, it was a really cool thing, and it, Din is is now. N- now that Grogu has made the decision to stay with him, Din is taking the responsibility of training Grogu the ways of the Mandalorians very seriously. And he's... So that's why he's really been teaching this season. And and we'll see more of that as we continue on in these episodes we're going to talk about. Um, so... And... I'm going to save that thought for later. Um but, <laughs> sorry. Uh but yeah, I I'm really enjoying the fact that not only you know, it started out as sort of like father and son traveling the galaxy, well now dad is is taking the time to show him the ropes and to teach him and to instill values and and uh, a way of of thinking and a way of looking at the world in order to, you know, uh walk the path and to you know be able to navigate the galaxy in general. So I really appreciate and like uh all of this uh this teaching stuff uh and the, the sort of uh tough but encouraging parenting that that Din is is doing with Grogu.
0: So mm. yeah. Um well I wouldn't be surprised if this is also another element of the episode you'll highlight too, Jason. But of course, at the end when they get to the living the living waters of Mandalore, um, I just adore that scene of Din taking off his stuff. You know, takes off the takes off his his cape, takes off the takes out his blaster. Re, you know, removes his jetpack. It's this. It's very ritualistic, and you know, I mean, mm-hmm. as I obviously as I've shared. The several times throughout this podcast, you know, I mean, as as a college chaplain and also as somebody who has spent a long time studying religion and spirituality, uh, I always appreciate ritualistic type moments. And that's exactly what this is, is Din is performing a ritual um, and he takes it so seriously. Like, you know, what I appreciate so much throughout this early relationship with him and Bo, especially in this episode, is she's just so not necessarily making fun of him for his belief in it, but just she's very cynical about it, right? She's been very jaded by her experience of the 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 fall of Mandalore. Um, so she just doesn't buy into the fairy tales, as she calls them. But in that moment of Din, he's not lost any of his sense of wonder for the rituals and the traditions of his people. So as he starts that, you know, descent into the waters... There's that beautiful shot of Bo watching him where she's clearly yeah. moved by it. You know, she, I think she's she's impressed by his faithfulness to this creed, to this way of life. Um, the music's beautiful in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, he gets sucked under and we get the most surprising reveal I ex- like did not expect, which is, of course, Bo goes to retrieve him and comes up and sees the mythosaur. Um, yeah. And the thing I loved about that little scene is a combination of both the cinematography and the music that Joseph Shirley gives us is this is kind of a terrifying and amazing experience. And that's my my favorite religious scholar. His name is Rudolph Otto, and he calls that all all uh, religious experiences defined by wonder and awe or fear and wonder um, and that's exactly what Bo is experiencing when she sees that mythosaur. It's this a sense of like awe, like, oh, my gosh, this is so amazing. But also a sense of fear of like, oh, my God, I didn't think this existed. <laughs> you know, I thought these were right. just stories that we told children at bad time. Um, so it's this really profound encounter for Bo and it's going to shake her to her core and and shake her out of her apathy um is is the way i see it so it's this really and i and i just love that dynamic that it establishes between din and bo where din is the faithful one and i don't feel like he in any way at any point in this episode tries to pressure her back into believing anything it's just he believes it so deeply and he's going to do it and she witnesses that and then sees a mythosaur that shakes her to her core where she's going to start reimagining for herself what her role is and what her place is as a mandalorian so i i absolutely love that stuff
1: yeah uh, she's it's been great to watch Din go on this journey but i've almost more enjoyed watching bo katan mm throughout Din's journey because his faithfulness and devotion to his creed is having more of an impact on Bo than if he was going to just sit there and proselytize to her about the the, the way, you know, uh, (laughs) this is the way you must follow the way here. This is the creed, all of this, you know, that would, that would not go over well, but Mm -hmm. as he, faithfully and devotedly continues to walk this in order to, to reconnect and to be redeemed um, so that he is no longer an apostate. Uh, It, it brings a sense of reverence and a sense of importance back to what being a Mandalorian is to Bo-Katan because obviously she's, she has grown up as a, you know, a, in one of the ruling houses of Mandalore, uh, she views Mandalorian culture on a, on a galactic scale as part of a, of a larger community throughout the galaxy, uh, as just one of many planets kind of thing. Um, and, and she's had a lot of rough things happen to her throughout her life, as we have seen in clone wars and rebels, uh, and and watching someone like Din bring everything back down to the most base, uh, simple, not simplistic, mm. but simple yes. uh, way of, of being is, is eye-opening to her. And it's been, you know, it, it's definitely, as you said, shaken to her. Shaking her to her core and is making her reevaluate everything. And it the punctuation for all of that is the mythosaur, which bigger than I expected. I'm gonna just say <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it was super cool. I was I was uh, sitting there on my couch, bouncing up and down, going, "Oh, it's a myth- mythosaur!" Um, when that happened, so. Uh, yeah, that was really cool, and uh, now, now I'm just waiting to see which one of them is going to end up riding that thing by the end of the season.
0: Um, <laughs> it's going to be Grogu, right? It we, will. We've seen I him mean, tame a the rancor, so. yeah, and a mudhorn. Yeah. So, yeah, um, right.
1: Yep, it'll be Grogu. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Grogu writing, you won't be able to see you, him. Absolutely um, not.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but that's what'll happen.
0: <laughs> well, as you were, as you were talking about, you know, Bo being shaken to her core and reevaluating everything. It just, she, she is now the Han Solo. She's force awakens Han Solo. You know, I used to believe it was all a bunch of fairy tales, you know, a, a, a powerful, you know, force holding the good side in the light, a mythosaur. But the thing is, it's true. All of it, all of it <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, those gigantic creatures, long thought extinct, the emblem of Mandalore, and she was the only one to
0: see it, yeah, yeah, um, which I think is incredibly important, so yeah, eh, yeah, um, was there anything else in in chapter eighteen you wanted to to, to mention?
1: Not particularly. Uh I mean there was some fun there was some cool action. Uh I did love Grogu in his mad dash back to the N one mm. to yeah. uh rescue Bo. Uh or to to get Bo to rescue Din. Yes. Um but you know, that's just a fun little sequence there. Um but yeah, not nothing of substance. Uh let's let's move on to the convert unless there was anything else you yeah, wanted to Yeah, No, talk definitely.
0: About. Let's yeah, let's let's get into the convert. Um I just want to say generally, and I, I'm pretty sure you're going to be in agreement, Jason. The Coruscant shots in this episode are gorgeous. And the amount of Revenge of the Sith shots we get, you know, the the opera house. Um, mm-hmm. And then the very I mean, the very first shot of Coruscant in the episode is the exact same shot we get when uh, after Grievous talks to. Sidious, and then we get that amazing balcony scene with Anakin and Padme. Um, it's the same. It's the same developing shot of Coruscant. And it, honestly, Jason, it really tickles me this episode because my goodness, they clearly invested a lot into the the, the CG of building out Coruscant again. But then where the co- the covert is for the Mandalorians, I mean, I just felt like we were in the somewhere in the Southwest. <laughs> like there's nothing. There's nothing particularly otherworldly about it i was like are we just outside the grand canyon like it just it felt very arizona to I, it, me um, it's
1: it's antelope canyon uh i think that's an i think that's antelope canyon uh yeah there, i've been to a canyon that you know the the smooth sandstone carved by wind and water and all that stuff it's it's gorgeous it's beautiful but yes i have i feel like i've literally been there before so which <laughs> yeah. i'm totally fine with it it's it's made better by the fact that there's you know, all these incredibly giant hungry monsters running around apparently. Um, But we'll get into that one later. Uh.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, the, the, gosh, I just loved the Coruscant shots. Um, uh, I mean, I think one of the, just one of the big things that's developed in this episode is the state of the new Republic Um, Mm -hmm. and that the new Republic is deeply flawed um, that while it's trying to establish itself over and above the Empire, it's also somewhat uh, reminiscent of the Empire, right? You get that that scene early on after Doctor Pershing's uh, presentation in the Opera House, where somebody's like, "Oh, you know, Republic, Empire, New Republic, it's all the same, right?" Um, and and honestly, like it's worth noting, but I will say this was the one thing that kind of bugged me. And this is something that bugs me about (laughs) Disney star Wars in the era between episode six and seven is why can't the new Republic just be the good guys? (laughs) Like I know we live in such a, a gray world. I I am well aware of that, but it's like, my God, like does the new Republic (laughs) right from its early days have to already be broken? I, I don't know. That's my personal opinion. I know others don't agree. And that's totally fine. Um, but it does bug me a little bit that the the New Republic is already struggling. And and, and one of the, th- the scenes that really highlight, because a lot of folks mentioned how this particular story on Coruscant felt like an Andor episode, which I totally agree. Um, and something that Andor really did is spe- specifically with the story of Cyril is, you know, when he takes that job on Coruscant and just kind of painting mm-hmm. the mundanity of life we get to see that kind of with Dr. Pershing's story, right? Like he's working in essentially a cubicle and his manager seems a lot nicer, seems personable. Um, but it, it, it kind of recreates that it's the same. It's a very similar system to the empire. Just people smile at you. Um, and I, I, I get what they're doing. Uh, and I get that it's pointing to like where the sequels are going to come in and, The First Order will maybe seem appealing as a result because the New Republic isn't what it claims to be. But this is just my personal opinion. I don't like it. (laughs) Like, I don't like that we have to establish the New Republic is already broken. Uh, That just kind of annoys me. Um, But I want to give the caveat of I am somebody who grew up with Star Wars in the mid 90s as a kid, reading all those legend stories about the New Republic, establishing itself and being this force for good in the galaxy. So to me, like the story after Return of the Jedi is just the New Republic are the good guys, and they're constantly battling threats. And what this show is kind of painting a picture of is the New Republic is trying, but it's still inherently flawed. And it's just like, gosh, darn it. (laughs) I don't love that. But um, again, not saying that if you are appreciating that caveat, you're wrong. This is just my personal take.
1: I'm going to agree with you a little bit there. Uh, I I think I'm, I'm giving it a little bit more nuance than you uh because you know yes they are trying and uh it's it's a big task for something you know that was a small uh collection of rebel alliances to suddenly find themselves in charge of a galaxy spanning spanning government you know it's a difficult transition process and it's still in process you know we're 5 6 maybe 7 years after return of the jedi at this point depending on how how long there is between seasons of mandalorian um so i i can see you know growing pains happening hmm. but the the uh program the amnesty program the imperial amnesty program that that dr pershing is part of does seem to be a little bit uh, trite, a little bit rote, and a little bit uh, too much, in my opinion. Um, uh, yeah, I, I will agree with you. It's it's a bit too familiar of of Cyril's cubicle in Andor, uh, and you know, there's this isn't to say that there aren't always going to be cubicle jobs in a galaxy far, far away, depending on what company you're working for, um, but. The fact that I do find it utterly bizarre that Dr. Pershing is an important and successful enough, uh, you know, a story from the Amnesty program to give a speech at the Opera House, but still have to work a mundane. Cubicle job instead of working with New Republic scientists. That's the one thing I felt was the biggest disconnect with the mm. story in this episode, um, in and of itself. So, and obviously, I know why they did it. Uh, you know, for for what they're trying to set up uh, with uh, Officer Kane and and her objectives. But I feel like there would have been a bet. There could have been a a better way to go about doing that. That wouldn't have that that big disconnect because like I said, he's giving this speech in front of thousands and thousands of people at the opera house. And yet the next day he's back Monday morning at his cubicle job, uh, you know, filing paperwork instead of being a scientist. Like that's like his training is. So I find that bizarre.
0: Yeah. Yep. agree with you there. <laughs> um, and i mean I, I i do love the relationship that's developed between uh uh Aliyah kane and and dr pershing um it's just it's really sweet and there's some really really uh katie O'Brien is the actor that plays elia kane and i it, just the nuance of her acting I, I think she's unbelievably good and I'm glad we're going to get more of her um and i didn't trust her
1: from the beginning
0: <laughs> i didn't at the beginning un <laughs> Yeah, I didn't at the beginning. I was like, "Oh, she's obviously just playing him." And then is the, and even like even when she brings him this, you know, sneaks him the sponge cakes or whatever, I'm like, "Okay, she's definitely playing him." But then when they start having um I don't know, like the, the, that that intimate conversation they have the night before they decide to like, you know, go act on on this desire to to go to the medical station. That's when I was like, maybe she really has changed her ways. Like maybe she, she's just to go get her and, and she wants to get this done. And as he's packing up the med station and it, I mean, Jason, you know me, I I love scenes where characters share, you know, really intimate parts of themselves or or their yep. dreams and aspirations. So as Dr. Pershing is putting these things together and he shares with her, you know, I, I always dreamed of this. My mother was a doctor. I always dreamed of being in a space like this. Um, and I think that I think she's being honest when she's like, yeah, I never thought about that stuff. He's like, oh, you never had a, a a trajectory for your life. And she's like, I never had the chance to. I think she's genuine there. I think I think that's a real true statement for that character. Um, and that's when and that's when it, I think that was the one moment where I'm like, oh, my gosh, maybe she really is on his side. Um, and what I honestly thought was is I thought they was just probably like pirates or something like, you know, just thieves trying to score some free tech that's who they're in you know uh, being chased by but as soon as the new republic shows up i'm like yep she sold him out um but uh and then you're right and then the way it closes with her i think she's ultimately wiping his brain um yes my take on that is is it's in part revenge for gideon but also she doesn't want the new republic to ever have access to what he knows um
1: well, I think she's still working for Gideon, and this mm. was a mission that she was mm. on. Like that—that's that—that's my interpretation of all of this. Is that she went there specifically to befriend and, uh, you know, get information from Pershing, and then also make sure that uh, he was unable to be ac- accessed by the New Republic as well, uh, because I think Gideon is out there. Obviously the, the implication was, was put out there that, Oh, the the story was that he didn't even make trial. He disappeared, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he did. I think he escaped and she's on a mission for him to get information and, or silence Pershing since he's a poster boy for this, this new Republic program. So uh, I think that's, that's, she was undercover the whole time. So, yeah, um, that's yeah. my impression.
0: There's just there was just something the whole episode's just so endearing about Doctor Pershing. Um, you really mm-hmm. got the set. It. I feel like a jerk. I can't remember the name of the actor. It's it's Om, Omid Abdi. I want to say. Ah, I, I probably misremembered. Give me a second. Okay, thank you. Um, but he's he plays the part so beautifully. Um, and you know there is there's this earnestness to his character that he really does uh yeah, feel repent yeah, repen- o- Omid Ab-
1: Abti Ab- okay Ab- Abti um the, he, but you I'm really probably, get- I'm probably butchering his last name I'm sorry Omid yeah. <laughs>
0: um but yeah I mean I just I, I, there's such an earnestness to his character that he really is he really wants to uh, be repentant for the the terrible things he did and and he's just genuine that he really cares about this research because he just cares about helping people and, and him telling that story in the opera house about his own mother. Um, You know, it's, he just seems like a really sweet character and in a lot of those quiet moments where he's by himself in his room or, you know, he's, he's, there's a sense of, uh, of loneliness to him. And I think that's why when Elias starts playing him, it's, it's really beautiful um, that there does seem to be a genuine connection initially um, also, really quick, when they are exploring like uh, that, Coruscant Park together, where the 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 peak of the the mountain on Coruscant peaks through. The um, peak of Umate. Umate. Yeah. Did you notice that the uh, March of the Resistance is playing, um, as like source music in the show? So it's like a some yeah. sort of theme being played at this carnival. So I thought that was really cool.
1: Yeah, love it. I yeah. loved it. Um,
0: so, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, so it's. I, I will say my own my the one the one other like my my quibble with the New Republic state is is my own personal quibble. I don't think it's it's, it's an objectively wrong or bad choice. Um, the only thing I wish with this episode is I think the story on Coruscant could have been shortened. Like it's it's like 35 minutes and it should have only been 30, in my opinion. Um, so it, it was longer than yeah. it needed to be, because right, like we we have obviously just an basically an opening action sequence on Mandalore. And then the episode closing with with Din and Bo, uh, going to the co- the covert. And you know, I do, I, I I love that scene. I love that. Essentially, yeah. Go ahead. Before we get to that scene, yeah.
1: I do want to say I did love the opening action sequence. It was yeah. fantastic. It was great. The uh, it makes me curious as to why there's a whole fleet of Ties um, nearby in the system. Hmm. <laughs> Where is Gideon hiding? Mandalore perhaps. Hmm. Um but uh hmm. I I did love the idea that uh we got uh Din doing his Mando move with the starfighter. Um again, you know, going straight up in the air, cutting the engines and letting the, the fighter fall back down towards the incoming tie, like he did in with the Razor Quest um in season two on uh when uh, when they were blowing up the science base on
0: um oh navarro
1: the lava planet navarro. navarro thank you yep. navarro yeah so uh that's the second time he's done that move now and i liked the callback so um <laughs> but yeah that was just uh, I-, I thought it was a great sequence and I-, I love a good a good starfighter battle
0: um yeah it, it really well shot a really great dogfight scene um, it's Four episodes but, in, we've already had two awesome dogfights. You know, this one and then, of course, in the opening episode against the pirates. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I do want to talk about that
1: last scene. Yeah. Um, it, my, my note, you'll like this. My note is Bo-Katan is now part of the tribe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> we are now part of the tribe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do love that. <laughs> Uh,
1: but yeah, I I thought it was really great. They, you know, obviously they they take a minute to confirm that, uh, you know, Din has has achieved the repentance and and is now they they welcome him back into the the children of the Watch. He's no longer an apostate. And then the surprise is that, oh, you're part of this clan now too. You're welcoming in our clan now too, Vokatan, uh, because you also bathed in living waters and you have yet to remove your helmet since then. Uh, so the, the sort of shock that you can see through Bo-Katan's helmet uh, as they all start welcoming her and, you know, patting her shoulder and, you know, you know, giving her the, the, the welcome and the, all that stuff as the episode closes, uh, was was kind of was really cool i I really like to see you know i really am loving the the path and the journey that bo katan is on and i didn't know that this was coming in this season and it's caught me by surprise and i'm i'm really enjoying the journey that that they're taking her character on
0: yeah same here. I, I thought it was I thought it was a really great scene. Um, and uh, if you don't mind, I, I, I want to, like, make a side note here, because, again, um, just paying attention to some of the, the discourse among fandom. Um, and, and I think I've I've done the same thing as a lot of folks have just assumed the children of the watch to be this cult. And as a cult, they're obviously villains. Right. Because in our culture, like when we think of cults, we usually don't think of them as good guys. (laughs) Right. There's right there. There's something about like the definition in and of itself of what makes something a cult is that there's a level of brainwashing and that brainwashing makes you insular and uh, uh, kind of exclusionary. Right. Everybody else is wrong. You're the only ones that are that are Right. I have never gotten that impression from the Children of the Watch, right? I think I think there are things that have made us assume this about them, and a lot of time, right? Bo Katana reser- reser- referred to them as a cult, um, although she yep. herself was part of one, the Death Watch, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I point this out because again, like it's it's really piqued that like religious scholar in me. Uh, I, I really want to know more about the Children of the Watch because what they seem to be. Is a group that is very faithful to an old way, right? You know, is at the end of at the end of the the chapter nineteen when they're flying to the covert. You know, Din is explaining to her, you know, we've been we're hiding like they. You know, I think it's best that you keep your helmet on just for now. And she's like, Oh wow, they. You know, they keep to the old ways, and he's like, Yeah, they do. Right, So there's this there's this sense of history there. There's this sense that and this is again, this is just me speculating because we don't know these answers yet. Um, But the Children of the Watch seem to be a group that is reacting to the fall of Mandalore. And they see that the annihilation of Mandalore was because they weren't faithful to the creed. They weren't faithful to their way of being in the world. And this is a group that sees our path to redemption is by recapturing what made us unique, what made us Mandalorian. Um, and I don't personally see that as an evil endeavor. Um, you know, it, it, it reminds me a lot of I was actually chatting with uh, with our pale Joe Hogan earlier today. And uh, it reminds me a lot of a common theme throughout the Old Testament. Is this theme that the prophets give that the the nation of Israel, whenever it falls into disrepair, it's because they aren't being faithful to the to the Torah. They're not being faithful to the laws of God. Um, and what do they need? They need to they need to recapture that. They need to return to the way, using Star Wars language. Um, and that's kind of how I'm starting to see the children of the Watch. Is they're this they're this group that is trying to recapture where they once came from. So that they can return to their days of glory, Um, they have fallen to the wayside. Um, So that's just where I'm landing with it right now, and and I want to be honest, like be clear that I know there are a lot of folks who've seen the Children of the Watch as being reminiscent of like toxic religions that they've experienced in their own life, and I don't want to diminish people's you know felt genuine experience to that. But this is just my speculation from. A kind of a purely like religious sociological aspect is what is the children of the watch? And to me, it's this this group that's trying to preserve something that they feel is lost. Um, and if you look at it, right, they are what what seems to be their highest tenants, caring for foundlings, caring for the forgotten in the world. They don't care if you're from Mandalore, um, right? Like that's established in the finale of season one, right? Mandalorian isn't it's not a it's not a planet. It's a creed, right? It's this. It's this sense of belonging. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. You're welcome in this. And that decision is yours, right? We see that in the first episode of this season. We see this young boy choosing to take the creed. And that's what's happening in this closing scene here is Bo is given a choice. She's not coerced. She's not manipulated into this. The armorer essentially says, you are one of us. But you're free to go anytime you choose to leave, anytime you choose to take your helmet off. Basically, you're welcome to go your own way. Um, but until then, you're welcome here. And the reason I appreciated the scene is right. Think of where we met Bo at the end of the first episode. This broken character who's been abandoned by her Mandalorian allies, a character kind of wallowing in, in self-isolation. And now there's this group welcoming her in. It's a place that's giving her a sense of belonging and purpose. Um, And I really appreciate the scene for that, for that reason. Um, She's welcomed in. There's, you know, you've done these things. You're welcome to be among us now until you choose not to be. Um, And there's no threats of death or physical harm if that is the case, you know. So that's what I really appreciate about that closing scene is is Bo now finds, and I think that's the reason she's, Interested in maybe sticking around and finding her place here is because everyone else that she was kind of buying in with left her. Right. All these other Mandalorians left her behind. She's forgotten. And now this group welcomes her in. Um, that's a pretty profound experience uh, of of finding belonging. So and again, are the children of the watch a uh, 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 broken horrible cult that's yet to be seen in my opinion like could they be sure and i think yeah i i don't i'm not counting that out but so far i i've just seen them be accepting of young people and and caring for the forgotten uh which is pretty admirable in my book
1: yeah it, it's a very interesting thing because there are you know like all smaller insular groups um anyone on the outside will look at that and say, you know, without, you know, if they don't have any sort of understanding, will look on that and say, "Mm, that seems a bit strange. That seems a bit cultish. That seems a little bit odd. They must have some weird thing that they do. And obviously, you know, there is the strange thing about the fact that they cannot take off their helmet. Mm -hmm. You know, that they do not have the physical, interpersonal, face-to-face relationships, you know, that there always seems to be a wall up between people. And so the depth of relationship sometimes, you know, especially from the outside, looks as if it's sacrificed in this way, you know. And we have seen a lot of the Children of the Watch from the outside looking in up until this point. Now we're starting to see them more from the inside looking out uh, in this season. You know where mm-hmm. where we're beginning to see you know in more detail the the reasons why someone like Din is such an adherent to the way in this fashion, um, because obviously he's a good person, mm-hmm. and the children of the Watch raised him uh, as a foundling since he was like eight or nine years old. So something that they're doing is correct because it produced Dinjarin, uh, who is the hero of this this entire show. Uh but there's also something that they do that rankles people because it, you know, up until the last few episodes, Bo Katan had a very well had a distasteful opinion of them. So there is there is the odd or the weird or the uncomfortable side of it, but there's also the good side of it. Mm. And t- we have yet to see it in its whole at this point. So the question still remains, which side outweighs the other? And I think we'll end up seeing that by the end of the show. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how that happens because... You know, uh, we've had Paz Vizla and the Armorer uh, as allies, as enemies, and now again as allies. So, could that change again? Yes. Uh, is it entirely possible that it won't change? Absolutely. You know, we'll just have to
0: wait and see. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's the thing is, is... I think in the initial season of Mandalorian I saw the children of the watch is like yeah they're just this weird cult they don't take their helmets off they seem to be a you know kind of a a really almost tyrannical group where you're you know you got to be one of us but I don't think there's ever been any clear statement of those sorts of things um and and, and I saw somebody somebody wrote a really a really heartfelt and honest thread about um, their own experience being part of a religious cult and uh, and they talk about this scene they're like you know it does feel great to be welcomed in by people you know in, in cults and uh, you know disparate religious groups and i've I've seen this in my own ministry work um, from outside groups where they come in and they find vulnerable people mm-hmm. and offer them a sense of belonging and then they just yep. kind of twist you into being one of them and and that's absolutely a red flag about this element of children of the watch. Um, But I just don't think we know enough about them yet to just immediately say that. Um, And and, I mean, I again, if if you've ever lived through an experience like that, I can't imagine what that must have been like. And and that's totally valid. Um, But I'm just saying that, like for me, I'm I'm just thinking about the children of the watch more intensely now because of the fact that our heroes seem to be comfortable being among them. So therefore, maybe there is something here. Right. So I, I appreciate that point you're making, Jason. Right. That that it can maybe be a little bit of both and, right? Like there is a goodness in Bo being accepted in um, and and finding a sense of belonging and a purpose. And also it could be that there's a perversion of that too that we will eventually see or, mm. or uh, you know, or it, and, and maybe Bo is the answer they need, right? Like, uh, so if you don't mind, Jason, let's, let's hop into this final episode, The Foundling Chapter yes. 20. Yes. Um, and absolutely. The, and, and, just in connection to this, uh, to, to jump into this is that scene when they're, you know, going to get the, the Ragnar back, you know, from the, the dragon and they're about to eat dinner around the campfire. And she leans into din and says, what do you all do when you're eating together? He's like, we don't. Um, and yeah. you know, and then Pazvisla says, you know, you have the honor of being by the fire. But they split apart They're, like they they can't even share a meal together, which is such such an yeah. intimate act across all cultures. Um, and yeah. I think Katie Sackoff, without saying anything, just her physical acting in that scene, there's an exhaustion in her face when she takes that helmet off. Um, and it, there's just something about that scene that makes me think she's going to be the one to maybe challenge some of their hardcore tenets. like keep the spirit of the creed but maybe not the letter of the creed, if that makes sense. Like I could see that maybe being yeah. Bo-Katan's, um, uh, you know, purpose among the children of the watch.
1: And Din might be the bridge between the hardcore and the new mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that Bo-Katan represents. It's possible. But yeah, that, that scene was very interesting uh, because as you, as you said, you know, one of the, the big things that, that, we as people do is fellowship around food. Yeah. I mean, every major holiday basically involves a feast of some sort, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, it, it's a, it's a way that people come together. You celebrate, you, you, you talk over food, you share, uh, you, you show your love by, by spending all this time to make something or to bring something and, and you just it's a it's a very intimate and open place to be. And the children of the watch don't have access to that, uh, you know, so much to the point where they have to go eat in separate corners uh, where they cannot see each other's faces once they take the helmet off. And I imagine they're all standing with their, you know, if they can't, you know. Get around a a, a rock outcropping. There's a rock outcropping. They're standing with their backs to each other while they eat. You know, it's just it's very closed off, and and that's part of the you know what's going on with this group. That makes me just a little. And I don't necessarily see it as bad or evil. It's just it's not as as connected as it could be and and here's something i want to i want to try start drawing a a line to uh we get more training with grogu in this uh you know din is is training grogu how to you know use his force abilities in conjunction with the mandalorian weapons and his little dart uh contest with the uh the kid and and then he goes in and has that, that scene with the armorer, and she's you know laying out the you know some of the creed and how they do things. And it's a very interesting thing because there isn't that much of a difference between how the children of the watch operate and how the Jedi Order operated.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: There's not much of a difference. Uh you know, it's just a focus in uh, the 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 major difference is uh, well, the Jedi rely entirely on the Force and their lightsabers, whereas the Mandalorians have armor and blasters and all this other stuff. It's it's a uh, it's how it's all expressed, but the way the creed, the the Jedi code, the the creed of the Mandalore, it's very very similar in how it's walked out. Uh, and how it 's applied to to the individual uh in this case so and and maybe that's specific to this particular group uh maybe it's more uh widely accepted broadly speaking among the mandalorians i'm not sure, but it's definitely the case with the children of the watch uh and and I found that very interesting because we had you know that scene you know intercut with grogu's flashback which we will talk about on its own here in a minute for sure <laughs> um but the the way that din is training grogu is very much like a master training an apprentice and the way that the the children of the watch are you know training and and encouraging all of the various foundlings is very much the way the Jedi order would do the same thing for all the younglings and padawans. You know, everyone is there to help support and to help teach. And it's it's very interesting how it's a very similar uh process even though the execution of it on the outside is
0: quite different. Yeah. That's a really great uh, uh tie in Jason that there is there's such a similarity between the Jedi code and, and the Mandalorian creed. And I think we'll continue to see more of that. Um, but without further ado, I think the, the, the thing we have to talk about, especially us, Jason um, <laughs> is the reveal of Grogu's initial savior on the day of order 66. And it, we've been yes. asking this question since season two, right? When we get the initial flashback and, and Ahsoka indicates that, you know, he, he was sa- he was in the Jedi temple. So we knew that somebody had to get him out. Um, and mm-hmm. people have been speculating ever since who, who it could have been. And I will say this, if you, if you are not a, if you're not a big star Wars fan, this moment doesn't mean anything to you. I, I'm just gonna, I'm going to say that right now because I had a lot of friends who've been watching Mandalorian because they like Mandalorian, but not necessarily big star Wars fans. And they're like, who was that guy? And I'm like, that's a valid thing to say. Um, yes. Uh, so not to say that that was the wrong choice. Cause I, I mean, it was the perfect choice. Um, but, uh my gosh, Ahmed Best is back in Star Wars in a great way. Now, I don't know if you watched any of the Jedi Temple Challenge that they just that one season in 2020. I loved the heck out of that show. It was super fun. It was. Yes. One of my favorite game shows to watch as a kid was Legends of the Hidden Temple on Nickelodeon. And this is basically that, but in Star Wars with Ahmed Best. <laughs> um, right. And, and I remember when the show started, because everything in Star Wars today has to be canon, which I still think is stupid. But, um, you know, they're like, this is, you know, this is in the era of the prequels. Master Kelerin Beck is, you know, a Jedi who, who trains younglings and helps them get settled into the temple. So I love that they took that character and make him the one who saves Grogu. Now, the first time I watched the episode, Jason, I didn't notice that as the Jedi are defending from the clone troopers, one of them actually says right before they're gunned down, get him to Kelerin. Um, I feel like if yes. I, heard, I'm, I'm honestly glad I didn't hear that line the first time I watched, because I would have, then I would have been waiting for it. I didn't hear it the first time. So when that door opens, I'm like, finally, we're going to find out who it is. And I was like, holy force, it's <laughs> Um Yeah, it was, well, what
1: happened for me the first time I watched it is, uh, I, I thought I heard it. I was like, did I hear that? But because it was all done in a lot of action yelling, the the Jedi is not fake. None of those other Jedi face the camera. So you, you can't really connect to any of them. And it's sometimes, you know, the, their, their words are slightly muffled Mm -hmm. um, throughout all of it. So I was like, did I hear that? I, and, but it was a delayed reaction to the point where, you know, we're, we're waiting in the lift and, as the pause is happening, I'm like, "Wait, did I hear her say Kellerin?" And that's when the door opened, and I was like, "I did!" So <laughs> it was it was great. I was super excited, and obviously, anybody who's listened to this show uh, long enough knows that I have a deep and abiding love for Jar Jar Banks and Ahmed Best. Uh, so. Having Ahmed best back as another character in Star Wars, and as a jedi uh to rescue grogu from the burning Jedi temple during order sixty six uh was super exciting and very you know to quote Yoda it brought warm feelings to my heart
0: <laughs> um
1: so yes i I was very excited and ah. Uh, it made me so very, very happy.
0: Yeah i I was just grinning from ear to ear, and um, in in the amount of love that just Ahmed Bess is getting showered with ever since this happened uh, is really, really cool. Uh, learning that he apparently he is most of his life he's done martial arts, so the martial art form that he uses is one that he developed with the stunt coordinator. Um, the embroidery of his robe, he worked out with the wardrobe company because there's some like Afro built into it. So, I mean, he is a hundred percent invested in the creation and development of this character. Um, and it was just, again, like it was, it was, I know some people are like, oh my gosh, order 66 again. I don't really, I mean, my opinion of it has been if it serves the story, I don't care. And it's always served the story. Like the flashback in Kenobi, it was important for the story of um oh my gosh, why am I blanking on her name? Moses Ingram's character. <laughs> um uh, what is that uh, inquisitor's yes. name? Um Yeah. The the third sister. Yes. Um uh well, whatever anyway, her name is. But yeah, I mean it's important to her story. Uh yep. We see it in season two because we're getting a glimpse into Grogu's past. It's super important here and and we get to see it in a different way. And honestly, when they're out there kind of on the veranda and he's about to take the speeder, I I felt like I was playing Battlefront. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like it was really an exciting scene. Um, And Keller and Beck is just so in control of this moment. And I love that, you know. The Jedi are like the one who yells out, "Get him to Kelleran like it's pretty clear that Kelleran has a relationship with these younglings. um and uh yeah, like the one that he the fact that he's the one that gets him out is just it's just so cool that they've brought Ahmed back into Star Wars um and so here's the big thing that I'm just super intrigued with Jason is he goes to a Naboo ship. Right. Those are Naboo yeah. guards. also, I don't know if folks notice, I'm sure folks did, but the blaster sounds of the Naboo soldiers are the blaster sounds that uh, Padme has in episode one with her blaster um, yep. from Phantom Menace. So that was just a really cool sound design thing. I'm sure that was David W. Collins. Um, but that, that is, uh, that is clearly a Naboo skiff um, and Keller and his friends with whomever has it. Uh, and oh, gosh, it, the way he delivers that line when they're like, where you know is there anyone else there's no he says either he says there's no one else or something like that but just the way Ahmed delivers that line uh, are
1: there any survivors there's no one yeah or something like that yeah
0: it's 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 very tragic and yet like determined of like I'm gonna get out of here I'm gonna get this kid out of here um is that is that representative Binks ship Jason I was thinking it might be, um,
1: because obviously we know what's going on with Padme and her ship during all of this, but Naboo does have a Gungan representative uh, in the Senate, and we do know that he was present on Coruscant during all of this, because we saw him in in the Senate later when, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Republic was reorganized into the first galactic empire so you know it's entirely possible that uh a certain representative binks uh had his security forces get a good jedi friend off planet yep and uh and uh, it would it would make sense considering that ahmed
0: best has played both of them so yes um <laughs> so here's the thing is like i really and i and, I'm sure we will, whether it's this season or the following. I I hope we get more of Kelleran's story with Grogu, right? Like, they they got off Coruscant. We know that, but he's certainly not in the picture anymore. So does he get hunted down by an Inquisitor um, and then shuffles Grogu somewhere else? Uh, I want to know more about their story. Um, I, would l- I mean, I would lose my freaking mind. I know you'd probably just drop dead with joy. If Jar Jar showed up in any capacity, Um, even if it's revealed, don't don't (laughs) get my hopes up. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) I mean, there's no reason to think that we would necessarily see Jar Jar. I mean, we could No, it could be like in one of the flashbacks, he, he mentions to Grogu like this was my friend representative Binkship. right? Like even, I feel like even just hearing that would still floor me. Um, Yes. And, uh, But man, I just I really want to know more about Keller and Beck. And I think with the way Star Wars is, is a lot of right when they introduce things like this, they'll explore this in another capacity. Whether it's we get trinket, you know, we get drippings throughout other shows or we get a comic series or a novel or something. Uh, I don't think we've seen the last of Keller and Beck.
1: No, no. They've added a new Jedi to the mix who managed to avoid Order 66, at least initially. Um, He is going to come back in some way shape or form not only that but he is shepherding the you know arguably the star of the biggest show uh to come to star wars uh since disney plus started so yeah um keller and beck will return in some way shape or form in you know either future episodes of the mandalorian other shows book comic uh something be back
0: <laughs> i think so too um huh. yeah that made for a great episode
1: <laughs> i was so happy and so excited um but yeah uh i think i've mentioned pretty much everything i wanted to yeah
0: same on. here yeah um so, you know, as, as upon this release, we we'll, we might know more answers to some of the things we speculated, Jason, because uh, uh chap, episode tw- chapter episode 21 is right around the corner. Uh Absolutely. But uh yeah. Uh you know, we will we will revisit Mandalorian again when the season has wrapped uh to give to give final thoughts. Um, You know, as we as we shared last week or excuse me, two weeks ago, the show as of right now is going to be a biweekly show, um, at least through at least through April, April as well. Um, I'm busy doing my Batman show as well on the side um, and uh, life's been busy lately, but uh, very (laughs) looking like the month of May will be back to weekly shows because May is Star Wars month. We always want to love on Star Wars hard through the month of May. Um, but excited to announce that uh, our next episode. So in two weeks, we are going to have a very special guest on with us um, who I I can't wait to have join us. So hopefully you'll come back for that.
1: Yes, definitely. It it should be a lot of fun, some lighthearted, good star Wars times here in the Wampa's lair for sure. Um, But until we we meet again, so to speak. Uh <laughs> Carl, uh how can people get in touch with us if they want to share all of their uh exciting theories or reactions to some of the the big moments so far in Mandalorian uh season three?
0: Yeah, well we are on Instagram at the Uh we're also on Twitter at Wampaslair, and you can always email us at Wampaslair at gmail.com. Excellent. Uh, Anything else before we close out this episode? No, that'll do it.
1: Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. It's been episode number 507 Midway and Tomando. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. This is the way.